Of course, I thought of something else. I don't know how we're going to read the super chats. Hmm. We'd have to open. Oh, on uh, my phone. Yeah, we'd have to look at them on the phone. Yeah. All right, so we are, in fact, live now. Okay. All right, so... Um, all right, so here's the deal, guys. Uh, we are locked out of the page that allows us to set up the live stream. So we can't actually see anything right now. Um, yeah. Uh, we are... Uh, you know the super chat is currently off because this is the portion of the podcast where brian and i just sort of have our conversation um but for now i suppose uh we're just sort of going to do it this way rather than having me look at my phone and going through uh super chat once that comes up um hopefully this will somehow resolve itself because i have no idea how um Brian's doing the pop-out chat right now. Um, all right, I was able to get to it from the regular YouTube page. All right. And um, if I F5 that, John, will I get a chance to do it a second time? Like have two pop-outs. All right, let's see. Let's see if I can run two of them at the same time. Can I close all this? Uh, Let's see. Close tabs, which gives us this, and that works. Yeah, so basically here's the deal. Uh, Because we can't get into that place that lets you set up the live stream, it's repeating the title that we already used for last week's podcast, but we can always go back and edit that part. That doesn't really matter. Like The title is the least important part. Yeah. Uh, But basically, now we have two pop-ups set up, and we're able to, uh, I guess, get this show on the road. So, Mm -hmm. welcome to RCR Podcast um, number, well, not number 42, because we're on 43 now. Do you want to do a uh, hold for sound? Uh, we could. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Test, test. Oh, me, me, me. Test, test. Me. Okay. Welcome, everybody, to the Regular Car Reviews podcast. I am Nick. I'm Brian. And we are in the portion of the show where we just sort of chat, you know, back and forth about our week uh, before we open up the Super Chat, uh, which I don't even know if we're going to be able to do today because we ran into technical difficulties that have locked us out of the page where we can set all that up. We'll see what happens in a half an hour. We're going to keep this going for about 30 minutes and... uh, if everything goes well, we'll be back after that for your questions. Yeah. And uh, if not, we'll let you know on Twitter that uh, it's a no-go. Yeah. But either way, for now... Um, you have a movie to review, and I have a big mess of chicken to eat because I came right from the gym, and I need my protein. And it's cooking away in the kitchen, and I've got chicken on the brain. Nice. but So, yeah, have at it. Uh, basically, this is going to be the equivalent of a Roman and you for about 10 minutes while Brian eats. But 
I have I, I went and saw the movie Eighth Grade, which is the directorial debut of one of my favorite stand-up comedians and one of my influences when it comes to uh, comedy music. Because when I first started doing original songs for RCR, which I mean most people they, they like don't really distinguish between the parodies and the originals. If it's an original and they just don't know what it is, they'll just assume it's a parody of a song they've never heard of. But um, ultimately. The movie Eighth Grade, it's this incredibly uh, rich in uh, verisimilitude in the sense that it's about this eighth grader, obviously, um, named Kayla Day, who is trying to become a YouTuber and sets up these really horrible vlogs that are almost sort of like, uh, you know, pep talks to herself. And they're kind of intercut with scenes where she could really use those pep talks but um it's played so naturalistically uh it my nephew is part of that generation and so there are a lot of things that i notice that he does that uh some of these kids do like saying lebron james for no reason and doing the weird like dances like flossing and all that other stuff but and that stuff is weirdly hilarious if you know kids who do that today but the other side of it is also that you know it's the cringe humor of adults trying to identify with this generation like uh the principal walks in and does a dab for like no no reason he just walks in and goes like that and it's preposterous and they put on a, a reproductive health film where the narrator tells the students that it's gonna be lit which it, it's just, but she says it in the most uh, Midwestern mom kind of way. Like, it's going to be lit. Uh, but ultimately, it's one of the most anxiety-inducing... Um, it really is one of the most anxiety-inducing uh, scenes. It possesses one of the most anxiety-inducing scenes in any movie that I've seen in a very long time. Uh, and part of it is the the reality that this happens to so many people uh throughout uh adolescence you know it's stuff that happens to actual girls and maybe it's something that you don't necessarily have uh, a frame of reference for yourself if you're a dude but i feel like in a lot of ways it's universal because if you have empathy you should be able to empathize with what this girl is going through and um and, but it also subverts a lot of tropes in that you know characters that you expect to secretly be awful really aren't and characters that you expect to be deeply nice real fart <laughs> deeply and desperately out of touch are actually uh some of the most in touch people this movie has a parental pep talk that rivals call me by your name for the best pep talk that i've ever seen committed to film from a parent to a child it's amazing and it's incredible uh call me by your name still has the best one though uh but there's also and and sorry for all the uh and ums i had a really good analysis of this movie in my head and then i completely blanked on all of it but ultimately it's one of my favorite movies of the year it's not a movie where a ton of things happen uh in the traditional narrative sense but things are obviously happening you know it's something where say uh 
she goes to a pool party, you know, and, and going to a pool party, it's you're reliving that weird, awkward part of your youth where you're almost pushed into a place where you're forced to make friends. It's a sink or swim, no pun intended, sort of environment where I was kind of having stress flashbacks of being in that same position of, I don't know anybody here. I got to find someone who's as big a loser as me. Oh my God, I'm the biggest loser here. And suddenly realizing that the best that you can do is try to fake your way through it because you're at the popular kid's house somehow for some reason. And it makes no sense how you even got invited there. But not to spoil anything, needless to say, it's a very interesting movie. The actress Elsie Fisher is a friggin' revelation. And also the script uh, is very well... It's, it's just so expertly constructed in that there's structure, but it's you don't see the writerly hand of the screenwriter in it. And it's very much in Bo Burnham's comedic style, which I love. So ultimately, huge recommendation. Oh, and the script also has one of the best lines that ever describes what it's like to live with anxiety at that age. So I would almost recommend like just seeing it just for that because I don't want to spoil the line, but it's an amazing line. And I was just, I almost wanted to, it was a write it down type thing, but you you can't write it down because someone already did it. But it's fantastic movie. And I uh, would actually rank it up there with one of the best movies that I've seen in the entire calendar year, which includes, which goes all the way back to like August of last year. Bo Burnham is just really fascinating behind the camera you know he makes a lot of interesting choices and he incorporates music in a very interesting way the woman who does the score uh it's kind of they're married the smash cuts are married to the musical score and you know it's just such a shame that it's r-rated in the sense that a lot of the people who need to see this the most won't be able to but i think ultimately what's it r-rated for uh, language and for basically it's I read an interview that basically said that Bo Burnham was told that if he wanted the PG-13 rating he would have to cut some of the swears but he would also have to remove references to the kids possibly sending racy photos to each other and that was such an integral part of the story to him that he couldn't cut it you know when i was an indoor drumline someone took a picture of their dick with a polaroid camera in a bathroom in in wildwood new jersey at the championships yeah well the, well it he, was my it was it it was my camera but it wasn't my dick <laughs> well i you did tell me before once that the marching band are like the horniest people on the planet oh yeah and this, and I would say the same thing about uh, drama kids, uh, especially in college, but not necessarily in high school. Although I know of other people who are like, "Oh man, the the crazy stuff that people got into in high school." And I'm just like, I never was crazy in high school, even though I did drama in high school, which is just eh. But and then uh, ultimately, eighth grade, go see it. Definitely an awesome film. So yeah. And then on Saturday, I went on a date, which was very nice. This was easily, by orders of magnitude, the best date I've been on in a really long time. 
uh the girl was great and we had a lot in common actually uh strangely enough just in terms of you know interest in certain like artistic endeavors like she isn't really oh oh yes oh yeah there it is awesome is that horseradish yes this was given to me by nush from moyer's car care he is a fan of spicy food uh and he bought this you gotta just read the label it's rita's fresh horseradish it's hotter than hell (laughs) mm-hmm Yeah, this kind of reminds me of that American Dad where uh, Stan tries to prove a point by dousing his food in horseradish, and then he ends up blowing out his colon and needs a new a new one. <laughs> it's like if anyone has a size four colon, that'd be great. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, but, no, this, is- yeah. this is like uh, first we feast hot ones with this. Mm. I mean, th- this is wasabi hot, so. Um, uh, it's definitely a nasal passage purifier. Mm. Serving size one teaspoon, that's a lot. <laughs> Doesn't have, hardly has any sodium in it. What on earth makes this so hot? Ingredients, horseradish root, water, vinegar, corn, oil, salt, and natural flavor, which is, uh, could mean anything. Maybe it's like platform nine and three quarters in the Harry Potter movies. Oh, and books where you just, you, because you believe it's hot, like it's hot. It's kind of like, you want some? Oh God, no. I, I'm the only Puerto Rican on earth who can't handle spicy food, but it's also kind of like the, 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 the shamrock shake of, is there a mint flavor or is it literally just green dye food coloring? So Yeah. Oh, this is good. I like my... I like my pleasure spiked with pain. And music is my aeroplane. Oh, I, that was a, that was a great... Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mm-hmm. So, Nick has been talking for a while, and I've been eating a bowl of chicken with horseradish in it. <laughs> hey, to be fair, uh, normally when I stop at the rudders, all I get is just two chicken breasts... And I just cut them up because the rudders, they know how to do chicken breast. They season it beautifully. And I don't know if it's, you know, well, it's probably just, you know, the bulk chicken breast Mm -hmm. like bro science gets and he's teaching you how to make it right. But Mm -hmm. it's still fantastic in that regard. And I'm just, I don't know. You can't go wrong with chicken breast. Like, really, it's an all purpose, absolute good. I don't know. I've been getting uh, pretty good with uh, pan-fried chicken lately. Hmm. I've been using not... Oh, wait. I've been using... I've been breading it, and I've been... uh, The breading I'm using is not for chicken, but for seafood. Hmm. And I put as much pepper as you would put in uh, chicken seasoning. I put in twice that. Hmm. Also powdered onion. And uh, and then with a few teaspoons of uh, uh, vegetable oil, or sometimes I'm fancy, I'll use the olive oil or peanut oil. Mm. And I know it'd be better if it was purely grilled, 
but I think I'm fine with a little bit of carbohydrates and fat, although they say oil isn't really bad for you. Yeah, I mean, it's a variation of things that get put in your body. I mean, realistically, for me, I... Like today, and this is my average day of, I make a smoothie, and the only thing that changes is what's in it. But it'll be, you know, a fruit, a green, some kind of nut, and then flax seeds, and water. And then it blends together and you're good. Then I do it again for lunch. And then I, you know, in between, I'm having, you know, maybe like a Lara bar or, mm-hmm. you know, one of those things. Um, and then for dinner, it's usually chicken breast or salmon. Huh. Because I go hard with salmon. I, yeah. I get, it's just fantastic. It's so wonderfully. The only thing with salmon is that, like, I'm kind of still hungry after. It's not really the most filling fish no. in the world, but. How do you cook it? Um, I just on the stove in foil. Oh, okay. Um, or not on the stove in foil, but I mean, I cook it in foil and I put it, I bake. Oh, okay. In the oven. So it's basically baked salmon. Um, but it's, yeah, it's kind of a very, uh, nice little meal. In fact, I kind of, I don't know. I spend a lot on salmon, so I need to like (laughs) reduce and get something that's less pricey, especially because I think if. I don't even know necessarily that there is such a thing as bulk salmon, but if there is, it probably isn't good. Mm. Or, or at least I can't imagine it would be the way that bulk chicken breasts would be. Right. In the sense that, you know, bulk chicken breasts, like, what are you really going to do to it? As long as there's no antibiotics or GMOs or whatever mm. the crazy word right. of the day is, you're great. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez, you eat way healthier than I. My but- My breakfast is oatmeal. With either raisins or craisins in it. Then I get to editing. Then I start drinking coffee. And then I have a feel-good food, which is bad. Mm. Which is usually a chocolate chip muffin. Mm. I eat that with my coffee. Lunchtime comes, and sometimes I eat lunch, but sometimes I skip it. In that I will eat whatever is left over from last night reheated. Mm. Um, And then usually in my afternoon I don't eat anything. But that's a lie because if I go to my parents' house, I will just start eating stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter what it is. Um, and then for dinner, I have a rice cooker out there, and it's the same two sides every single night. It's rice and steamed vegetables. Is it cooks in the uh, in the rice cooker? I probably mentioned this before. And then it's a revolving door of whatever meat I want, either chicken, ground beef. Or pork, and it's yeah. usually, or sometimes when they run specials, this uh, turkey sausage that Boyers has, and so, oh, and then that's it. Yeah, that's my dinner, which I'm trying to eat earlier. Yeah, same thing. Like I'm trying to do the whole early dinner thing because re- being raised in an Hispanic household. We typically always ate dinner really late. As a kid, I would eat dinner at like 7.30, 8 o'clock. And then I'd be in bed at 9 and, you know, it'd be whatever. But ultimately, I think I'm trying to kind of break the cycle and have dinner at maybe like 6.30, 7. Yeah. So that then, because I I was listening to this on Rogan, I think it was. Somebody talking about how... uh, you know, there's an eight-hour window where you should eat, mm-hmm. and then a 16-hour window where your body is just digesting and yeah. processing everything. So I think um, 
ultimately I, I just want to sort of get in the habit of eating better. See, the difference between you and I is that even if I technically eat better, you're way more active than I am mm. in the sense that like, yes, I did go swimming for like a few hours today, but that was mostly in service of babysitting my nephew mm -hmm. or kid sitting. I don't really feel comfortable calling it babysitting anymore, but it's weird because he's 10 now, mm -hmm. which is insane to me. But right. uh, yeah. And then, you know, there are other things where, you know, this past week, for instance, like I had to. I couldn't really go anywhere because I had to wait for uh, Red Betty to get out of the shop because I was having weird steering like there was a groaning sound uh -huh. and th the wheel wasn't fighting me or anything. I did this the downhill test that you uh, recommended yeah. to see if it was a power steering issue. It wasn't, but I took it to my guy and uh, basically I got an alignment. I got new tie rod ends and yeah. that was basically it. And now the groaning's gone. So it seemed to have been some kind of a mystery of why it was groaning. Yeah. Uh, but they did tell me that, you know, just keep an eye on the power steering, that that's something that, yeah. you know, it's, I don't know, next time I bring it in for like a checkup to whoever it is I usually yeah. go to, because this time I went somewhere different from the usual place. Yeah. Um, because the usual place could, didn't have an appointment early enough. And right. I'm very paranoid about that type of thing. Mm -hmm. I was more nervous taking it to the shop than I've been for any doctor's appointment that I've had in what? years. No, just because I'm like realizing how much I love my car and oh. realizing that I don't want to lose her. And, you know, suddenly, and also the money, you know, it's, I don't have, I, I can't just, you know, go, I don't know. I just didn't want to be quoted for a price to fix her. That was more than the, car was worth yeah but never, knowing never me pay more than half like if you ever get a it's a four thousand dollar car and or i think yeah. 44 i nagged the guy down from 46 that's nice. my that's my ace uh skills and Pretty i brought good. you with me on that day um, oh yeah because you know they always recommend having someone else who's uh gonna ask all the right car questions there mm -hmm. and it was almost kind of like a good cop bad cop or like a dumb cop smart cop type thing of i play the person who doesn't really you know know what he wants and isn't sure what to look for and then you're just kind of you know working the suspenders and well well how about and all this and uh hey i see this uh you you were actually the one who pointed out that the rear defroster wasn't attached properly uh. he's like oh yeah that's good that's like that but i took it anyway because it's like a what yeah, it was like a five dollar fix yeah or, but yeah anyway the red betty's fine she's running well yeah. i need to put gas in her on the way home from here but other than that everything's right. great cool um the falcon had been at bruce's for a while because i drive that car really hard and i break stuff on it i don't break the car but you know i stuff rattles loose and so we're going to do a video over at Bruce's to show you the new stuff that's been done to the Falcon to make it uh, more livable. Uh, the big thing was exhaust manifold gasket because it had an exhaust leak, another exhaust leak on the other bank. Um, so a new one of them put in uh, bus hub, which is to clean up the wiring, uh, helper springs in the back to keep the rear end from rear end from squ 
dragging ghetto dragging when you put a whole bunch of stuff in the trunk and people in the back seat the rear end of the falcon would just go it would just squat down so this this extra leaf springs they're at a leaf they're the helper springs you bolt those things on and now the rear end sits a little bit higher so it's a little bit muscle car looky in the back i like it i think i need to paint them black to uh to match the rest of the leaf springs yeah but the and also summit racing hooked me up with a thermal gasket for the carburetor because even though the cooling's been getting better we're still chasing it we don't want this cooling to uh climb so uh the falcon now has a thermal gasket in between the carburetor and the intake and that's supposed to stop uh, heat from going from uh, the intake manifold uh, into the carburetor and causing vapor lock um, when it's really, really hot outside. Um, also, now, when I took it from, uh, picked it up from Bruce's, it wasn't shifting in the fourth gear. Like, I, I didn't get overdrive. It's weird. I'm out on the highway. And I'm like, I'm revving high. What's up with this? It was also shifting later or weird. Uh, Bruce said to tighten the uh, um, the TV cable, also known as the kickdown cable, and Bruce called it the detent cable, uh, uh, to tighten that up a little bit more. He said about one eighth inch to uh, tighten it and uh, see if that works. And I did that, but then. Uh, I got talking to my neighbor, and then Nick called and said, yo, I'm here, where are you? And I'm like, oh. So after this, depending on how I'm feeling, uh, do I want to do that? Do I want to work on the car at night? Yeah, I don't know. That's kind of how, you know, people secreting up to someone in their garage or working on a car, and then all of a sudden you hear about it on the news where, you know, there was a an Allen and eh, no, I don't even know Man. but it's kind of uh strange in the sense that I could almost make an entire video out of just interviewing you and having you go over the history of problems or not ne- even necessarily problems but challenges you've run into with the Falcon because this has been a several year endeavor and what's interesting to me is that this is a lot of what people don't see oh for instance matt farrah made this post on instagram that uh was literally just a picture of a new show that uh, a description of a new show that netflix was making that it was all just about these three guys who have a garage they're flipping cars and then selling them super expensively and matt is explaining how you know every time he's been in any sort of network pitch he's wanted it to be Hey, let, I, all I want to do is show off our awesome roads, drive some cool cars, and show how cars unite us and divide us. But executives are always like, yeah, but do you have, like, two other funny friends and, like, a garage where you can flip cars? Mm-hmm. And you realize now the amount of those types of, like, hey, we're flipping cars in our special garage show that yeah. there are. And those shows rarely, if ever, show off the practical problems that continue to happen once the car is technically done yeah it's like the car is never really done yeah it's in working order and can work but i don't know that it's ever completely finished right no custom car like classic cars are never ever done they're they're never they just 
they're they're continuing evolving or some the only classic cars that are done are the winga dinga guys who 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 get it they get it running they get it driving not able to be driven far and then they just wax it forever like ferris bueller's dad (laughs) and the cars don't go anywhere they sit in the garage looking nice and it only comes out when there's no chance of rain and low humidity and all the crap is gone from the roads after winter. They drive it to the car shows. They get out their folding chairs. They sit in front of their their fucking Malibu. <laughs> and, then, and then nothing. The, the car is immaculate. It runs, but the car never goes more than 10 miles. That is a done classic car. Yeah. It's not something that you're just going to drive in all weather and, and things like that. And you have 50, 53-year-old wiring in it. And uh, so the car is ha- over half a century old. Stuff is wearing out on it that needs to be replaced constantly. Uh, eventually, there will be bits of the body that gets cut out and new panels welded in there. Um, now, I think the reason that executives now want to you know make that we're gonna flip cars because a car because a show like that is equally pied up into act one act two act three act one get the car oh there's a piece of crap act two scenes of wrenches turning and sparks and welding and then act three and then the seller "Mm, i'll give you this but i'll give you this i'll give you this cut to i think i got a good deal we think we got a good deal Done. Done. Yeah. Put a bow on that. Put a bow on that episode. And it's cheap to make and easily digestible, and you don't have to worry about a writer, technically, in the sense that, yeah. okay, yeah, there's somebody writing the little narration in between things, but you're not worrying about crafting a narrative for a car the way that, you know, in Matt's pitch, you know, what what what's the difference? Right. It's like, it, I, I don't know. It if. It offends no one. It excites no one. It's like um, there was this one episode of Parks and Recreation where they had a contest for a new mural inside the office, and uh, uh, everybody. Some guy came up with like the a salute to America one. Other ones came up with really touching ones. And uh, Ben Ben Wright? No, that's our guy, Ben Wyatt. Ben there. Wyatt, yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, the guy who sounds like me. I forget. Oh, oh, he, uh, the guy played by Adam Scott. Adam Scott, yeah. Um, he uh, uh, he shows this picture and and he says, "This is going to win." Um, and what it was was a calm picture of a man feeding ducks, <laughs> just an older man on the on the, on the on a. Uh, on a park bench it was like watercolored you don't even see it's like a sort of like a a muddy face it's all very dreamlike just a man feeding ducks um he says this is going to win he says that guy went too hard with the salute to america this that one's too challenging this challenges no one it has no message (laughs) it is completely benign yeah this is what's going to win to the most amount of people. This is what's going to be uh, acceptable to the most amount of people. And then, like, uh, Ron Swanson walks by and goes, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) And then it wins. And that's exactly what it is. It's the literary definition of the word pablum. It's not challenging. 
it's there to pablum yeah it's uh, and there's a more specific definition for the word pablum that i think has a uh, uh, more of a like a brain matter type definition to mm. it but ultimately i think those types of shows are popular the flipping the shows for the reasons you said and also because it's a weird mishmash of other shows too it's american masters or whatever that you know the motorcycle guys the three the father the son and the oh that and the holy brost uh and then you know and then you get pawn stars in there too in the third act kind of right because you're bartering it's you put it on at a bar you don't even need sound yeah because it's not even about the necessarily the personalities of the guys either yeah like yeah maybe some of them have friends or fans i mean yeah. but you know it's you can have a showrunner it doesn't matter if it doesn't matter if these people have no acting well they don't they're not they're not actors but you have a showrunner that says okay you look at this camera, you say these lines. Yeah. You look at this camera. I mean, you watch it and you know the show's fucking, you know, it's cooked more than ramen. <laughs> Good line. <laughs> it's 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 overproduced in a way that any British reality show, I, I liken it to the difference between Gordon Ramsay's American shows and his mm. British shows. His British shows are so entertaining and so down to earth and endlessly watchable and then you see something like the american version of kitchen nightmares or the, the 24 hours show where he has to remake everybody's restaurant in a single day or whatever and it's just the most overproduced garbage and i just kind of hate that that's our brand yeah. like america's brand for te television yeah. now granted america doesn't have love island like the uk does mm. but we have bachelor in paradise which is more or less the same thing and i it's just uh, it's exhausting to I think about i don't think it's possible to show through a visual medium the joy of moving a part that uh, moving a part on a car that last crucial one sixteenth of an inch to make it fit hmm. because it's tactile. Yeah. Now that would be a challenge for a great writer, a great producer to, to, to express through, through, uh, the visual and the auditory, the tactile. Hmm. If you could finally have that click, then maybe, you would have to have a crew following a uh, build for a while. Yeah. And usually when you're filming these areas, like like between a transmission and an engine that you can't get to, no camera really can get in there. Although that new lens that got... A uh, bunch of hits. It, their video went viral. It's a new type of macro uh, lens for filming stuff really up close. And it's made for digital SLRs. And the lens looks like an anteater's tongue. Huh. It's, if the camera is here, the end of the lens is here. It's this thin tube with all these little lenses in it. Like a xenomorph opening its mouth. Yeah. <laughs> Just the idea is that you can get this camera into tight spots. And hmm. not only that, but it has a ring light at the very end Ooh. to light up whatever. Like it has built-in lights, so you're not starved for light if you're in a dark place. Because 
what you're describing is kind of something that it would take the sort of depth of feature film to accomplish. Yeah. Uh, that that's the climax of a film that is only about that. That's the only way that I could imagine it working. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of a movie that has a similar thing of this thing isn't working, now it works. But I don't I can't think of any that has that component where all right, it finally, you know, just a little bit over and, and now then it fits. And then that nut just like goes that. in, that click. Yeah, people in the chat said that sounds hot. We would get that, but we'd never make our money back. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those things that is for a very specific niche audience. Right. That, you know, other people, you would be having to explain that film or that climax to people for right. a very long time. It's okay. like, it's like, um, it's like it took three watches of Renoir's The Grand Illusion for me to get it. Mm. I'm like, holy shit, this is genius. But you, but it requires a back knowledge then of <laughs> Western Europe politics and kings and queens and understanding modernism and all that other stuff. And like, yeah. ah, I finally get this. Confessions still not have seen rules of the game all the way through. But, oh, uh, I haven't seen it at all. Yeah, I mean, uh, honestly, my only Renoir film is Grand Illusion, and I loved it on the first watch, but it took me multiple watches to get why uh, it was genius. Mm. Like, you can articulate that you like something, but, you know, you can't really explain why until... It, it took it mm. took some time. Kind of like Tokyo Story. That was another one that we watched in Schwartz class, yeah. and I did my report on it on how the, it, it was basically about the use of color in a black and white film, a cinematography type oh. thing. And it was how it showed the, you know, because basically Tokyo Story is about this old couple who's eagerly anticipating the arrival of their children to visit, their adult children, yeah. and then I think like they never come. Or one of them comes and it's, it's yeah, weird. The kids are grown. They have their own lives. Yeah. And you, 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 you understand it's a good movie for Westerners because it shows how much they want to have loving parental moments with their kids who have grown up, moved on, and don't need them anymore. Yeah. And like so many like snobby british films uh, like uh well before lady chatterley's lover uh showed how there are all these emotions uh there's a rip current of emotions under polite society mm, that's a good point. because if you look visually the old people clearly aren't upset but all they wanted was time with their kids. But then there's that long scene where uh, I think the daughter and the mother go out on and look go to go to town. Yeah. And there's wonderful panning shots of modern Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah. Then contrasted against, you know, their home in the farmlands. Yeah. And it's one of those movies that I think benefits from the viewer going in with an expectation of how Eastern society portrays their relationships with the, or, or how they perceive their relationships with the family. Yeah. Because it's almost like this deconstruction of the expectation of the tiger mom or the tiger parents where, uh, they're looming over and all they care about is that their children are successful and that they don't bring shame. And it creates in Westerners, this idea that 
like is there love involved at all or do they only care about the material Mm -hmm. and that's not true at all like they are they love their kids and miss their grown kids as much as anybody would Mm -hmm. and uh perhaps even more because there's the society in and the culture in which they're embedded is so work obsessed in a way yeah so whenever that, whenever you see the eldest son it's always he has a, he's at the tire factory yeah and you know, the phone's ringing and uh you know oh mom is here it's like well i have to uh i have to work late and the mother understands yeah there's no unreasonable well you gotta come home now like like some midwestern comedy yeah like no she understands but there's ah the acting's great yeah the i feel like the tragedy of the film is that the parents understand they aren't needed anymore it's it's not just the heartbreak of having your kids uh grow beyond you Mm -hmm. but grow to a point where you almost feel like you can't be upset about it because this is what it's supposed to be but not entirely because you know it's i don't know it's family it's Mm -hmm. generational it's cultural it's Mm -hmm. everything it's all boiled down into this strange wonderfully beautiful stew of Mm -hmm. of visual and you know, it's it's just a great visual poem in a way, almost yeah. as a film. It's a slow movie. Oh, like what we're talking so. about, yeah. But all of those whose films are. Yeah. So you bring this to a sleepover, you'll never go to another one again. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> unless the goal of the sleepover is for everyone to get to bed really early, so <laughs> it's just yeah. But the same is true of Grand Illusion. I think uh, uh, it's it. Well, that's a little more. That has more. Yeah, this is about yeah. war. Yeah, but also... It's a war film that isn't about war. Yeah. <laughs> I love French films, pretentious and boring. <laughs> I love French films too. Tickets, please. <laughs> I don't know. It's fantastic. Um, there's this there's this freaking... Oh, there's a great scene in Grand Illusion as opposed to all of them. <laughs> but it's where they're escaping from the first prison. And... Uh, uh, <sighs> And they're there uh, making, uh, I guess they're they're working they're working on uh, their costumes for the play, <laughs> French film. Yes. At the same time, they're digging this escape tunnel, but there's this one moment where Bourdieu <laughs> looks out the window. And there's all the young German soldiers because these these are uh, uh, French pilots in a German prison camp during World War One, and they look out the window and see the all see the young German soldiers, mm. like enlisted people. I mean, most of the pe- most of the uh, um, the characters portrayed in Grand Illusion are officers; they're older men, and they look out the window, and one of them says. Out there, children playing as soldiers, and in here, soldiers playing as children. Mm. And I wanted to use that in something else, uh, but I don't know what. I mean, it'll present itself in something at some point, I think. Uh, the same way, you know, the intertextuality thing. Like, I wanted to use that for a while, and then the Phoenix came along. And I was yeah. like, yeah, it'll fit here. 
the 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 uh i don't know which i like better like the uh the narrative the the spoken narrative or the visual narrative i think i like the visual narrative of grand illusion better because in a modern sense there's wes anderson-esque stuff which then you could probably say on some level renoir was could have been a uh, an influence on wes anderson but there is a lot of symmetrical shot some shots going on in mm. grand illusion but it's usually windows yeah like the scene where the men look out it's from the shot of the men looking in or it's a shot looking into the window of the prison building of the french soldiers looking out and then it's a reverse shot them of them looking out on on the german soldiers doing their drills out there and most of the men had their own window pane within this larger picture window yeah because it's kind of a castle like the prison is almost like a castle in a weird way uh it has that very specific architecture that is I, i don't know it's just so visually distinctive for its own time and even for this one too i mean i feel like there's a lot that people could glean out of a film like this especially when times are as divisive as they are yeah uh but i did appreciate the amount of sim uh, the lack of of asymmetry in it in the sense Mm -hmm. that a lot of movies at the time particularly noir films but you get a lot of dutch angles for no reason yeah and i get i think part of it it's just supposed to be disorienting Mm -hmm. but i also feel like it kind of comes at the expense of really getting a full being able to take the fullness of the visual narrative in our tripod has an extra hinge on it and god damn it we're gonna use it (laughs) there it goes Mm. Uh, one of my tripods has that hinge for a dutch angle i've never used it once you should do you should create a not the good one that we use the other the other one you should create a film student character who's just dutch angles like dutch Dutch angles and dutch angles (laughs) oh you like it 30 to 30 degrees 33 point motherfucking three degrees cracking an egg on the pan in black and white (laughs) as the world's smallest violin plays (laughs) yeah my influences are they might be giants. <laughs> That's not film. I'm talking about Anna Ang. <laughs> Have you ever seen the video for that? No. It, it's funny. It's so pretentious and funny. Mm. I mean, the idea that that was shot in like 89 or something like that. <laughs> that that they might be giants predates Nirvana breaking out. Hmm. Anyway. Wonder- I, I don't even know I to be honest I honestly don't know that much about Nirvana like how long they were together before they actually hit it big eh, I don't know either but anyway they might be Giants hit it big before Nirvana did but they did get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on the first ballot so yeah. good for them and, and there are a lot of people who are mad now that like Bon this year Bon Jovi got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and mm-hmm. I think it was their first ballot if I'm not mistaken mm-hmm. but other people who were nominated or who were eligible on the first ballot because it's like 25 years after your first album with a major label mm-hmm. uh, were Radiohead and Rage Against the Machine and people were furious that neither one got in I'm just like their time will come if they deserve it I guess yeah but yeah uh, well we're gonna wrap this up and get to the super chats in a little bit uh don't go nowhere yeah we'll be back thank you for, and thank you to everybody who listens on uh, shout engine and itunes 
Um, thank you to everybody who donates through Patreon. I know I haven't updated the Patreon page in a year or so. <laughs> it has all the old goals on there. But what really what we're using the Patreon for is for travel. And to answer uh, Roy and Matthew, uh, uh, or really Roy, when are you going back to Harris Hill? Yeah, that's what the Patreon is for, going back to Harris Hill. And uh, Andrew says, what time is Super Chat? Like in 15 minutes. Give yeah. us 15 minutes to get ready. Yeah, and then we'll gonna, be right back here again for Super Chat. Yeah, I'm going to upload this to the Shout Engine during the break. And, uh, oh, wait. Yeah, yeah. During the break. Yeah. And uh, give it a different title because we were, for again, we were locked out of the place that allows us to set up the live stream yeah. properly. So the Super Chat is likely going to have yeah. Glenn Livet let die again. But yeah. We'll fix that. We'll fix that. It'll be fine. Oh, to answer like great. Burgundy Burnouts' question and anybody else, there's a Patreon. Yeah. It's it's all in the info on every single video we do. It's permanently there. You can see the links in there. All right. So thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you in a little bit. Have a good week, guys. See you.